Hello, and welcome to You Philosopher. This is a special Thanksgiving episode. So we'll be a little short, but I thought it might be fun to have a conversation about Thanksgiving, very briefly. Um, in a way, relevant to what's happening kind of popular culture right now and in terms of current event. So some people might want to talk about why um, there is some negative view towards Thanksgiving. So, and there's a lot of, lot of things that we could talk about ranging from the treatment of non-human animals to uh, Black Friday and the marketization of a day dedicated to giving thanks. But what I want to talk about something was kind of more uh, immediately relevant in terms of things that are happening in, in uh, kind of politics and current events right now, which is uh, white nationalism. So one of the concerns that some people have about Thanksgiving is, is that um, Thanksgiving isn't exactly the story that we like to think that it is. In other words, it's not, it's not a holiday that's grounded in celebrating killing um, Native American peoples. And that pushes the argument most likely too far. But instead that part of the concern is, is that, well, are we telling ourselves a story about Thanksgiving that isn't quite true, right? And so I wanna start it by kind of looking at the ways that we retell stories about ourselves and our own history in such a way to kind of benefit ourselves that and, and thusly results in maybe these kinds of um, ideas about truth and history that are that can be a bit off and perhaps can even do some harm. So recently there's been a rise in something, a kind of ethno-nationalism, a, a, a white nationalism, which at least at first blush doesn't seem particularly off, right? Um, outside of the fact that it's called white nationalism, which I think immediately puts people off. If, if you read some of what these people are saying, this is they're saying things like, well, we just want to make sure that white people also have a voice as well. And outside of the fact that it seems fairly obvious that they do, given how much representation they have in Congress and so forth, the fact of the matter is, is many, many white people do in fact feel like that they're not listened to, that they have to be censored, that everyone else, like every other minority, is, is a concern and every other minority is addressed. Um, and because they're not a minority, um, they, don't, they don't really matter. And in the same way that women might be considered a minority despite being a majority in terms of population, I think many people in, in the white working class may actually feel marginalized, might actually feel like there's a similar way in which they in fact are a minority, even if they are a kind of majority. So having said that, this idea that they should also have, that they should also have voice and that they are also important, that their lives also matter, et cetera, et cetera, um, doesn't seem wholly off. If anything, it seems a, a little bit fair. And again, I think the only kind of immediate concern that arises is, well, but you are listened to, you are already the favorite, you are already the default. And then the question really becomes, well, is that actually the case? Are they actually listened to so on and so forth? But if you go on, it does get a little bit more tense. So um, a kind of leading thinker in this white national movement said the following um, in a recent interview with Al Letson. And I thought it was particularly interesting because I thought it applied really well to Thanksgiving. Uh, so Richard Spencer says the following when he talks about defining America. How is America defined? He says, um, the American nation is defined by the fact that it is derived from Europe, that Europe European people settled this continent, that European people built the political structures, that European people influence its architecture, its economy, its art, its way of life and society, and so on. 
And he does go on to say that there's many different people and that some other people have also had influences. But notice that the kind of key, the, 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 it seems to be pointing the finger at the idea, but it was white people, that it, you know, it was these European people, that it was made by them and for them. And, and he kind of goes on to suggest, and I think not so subtly, that there's this idea that that means that there's a certain level of, of precedence. And, and I, I don't want to mischaracterize his argument, but at the very least, it's cer certainly they shouldn't be marginalized, but it seems to be go going beyond that. That at the end of the day, the United States is a safe space for white people. It's a white country. It's a European country, seems to be what he's, what he's suggesting. And there's some interesting arguments there that I think we could get into and are worth, worth um, discussing simply like in terms of, well, just because some somebody builds something, does that mean that by definition that uh, that it's their descendants only that have have a right to it, so on and so forth. So if it is in fact true that Europeans um, were the ones who settled here, that it, it that the country still kind of belongs to Europeans, uh, and I think there's some odd stuff that happens there. I mean, does that suggest then that Britain still kind of has a right to say, well, oh no, I mean we made you, so you're still ours. We just decided to let you run free. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And, and again, I don't want to mischaracterize an argument, and there's a lot to be said there, but. If we go farther back and we say, oh, okay, well, maybe. Um, what's interesting is how the story that Mr. Spencer is telling is, in fact, at least from my own historical understanding, not quite correct. In other words, the idea that it's colonized by Europeans, well, sure, but it was colonized by the Native Americans, by the Indian peoples first. And um, those European peoples took that land from them. And it's not like those, Indi you know, we have this kind of like Pocahontas-esque Disneyfied story of like, oh, but they didn't mind because they didn't really have an idea of property. So you just, this, this is actually not in fact true. You take anyone's home, you go about killing them and taking taking the stuff that they were using, even if let's say they didn't have a notion of, of private property, which again is arguably, arguable. If it's the stuff that they're using to survive and keep themselves safe, they're not really happy about the fact that they don't have it as, as a way that they can use it anymore and that they might die if they try and continue their ability to use that something. So, and, and, and I guess we can leave that behind. We can say, well, that's, you know, all's fair in, in war, so on and so forth. And there's, again, there's a tension there. Being a kind of strong capitalist nation, we have the idea that if something belongs to you, it belongs to you. And if they steal it from you, you have to give it back. But we'll leave that idea aside too. Um, and instead kind of look at, okay, well, even if we ignore, uh, the Native American population. I mean, the idea that like it's built really by white people, well, yeah, using black slaves, right? And using other forms of slave and wage labor, right? So in other words, black hands built so much of the United States and, and built so much of its economy, if not its actual physical in infrastructure, Chinese immigrants and immigrants from all over the world. And in, 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 the, in the cases of the black population, people who are actually kidnapped and forced to do it or bred to do it. And well, you might say, well, I, I, yeah, but Nick, leave that aside too, because that's still, I mean, but they're a minority. The, the, the people who really, you know, the majority that really put something in, into it and conceptually at the very least, Nick, you know, it's Europeans, it's European philosophy that really grounds where we're coming from. And I guess that's kind of where I want to take issue. In terms of, well, it's white ideas, it's European ideas that really ground this nation. And that seems to me to be terribly unfair. And without going into a whole lot of detail, and I really highly recommend that you look it up, there's actually a lot of reason to, to think that in fact, these founding, the, the people who founded this country, 
um, in fact, were very moved by what they saw in the six Iroquois nations, right, in the Iroquois Confederacy. And we know that people like Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin were inspired by that. And you go, well, I mean, yeah, but Nick, I mean, they're European. They knew about democracy before anything involving, you know, um, the Indian populace, right? That's all, that goes all the way back to the Greeks, right? And um, so the the problem is, is we, we forget that everyone thought the United States democracy would fail miserably. And that the Europeans thought the United States democracy would fail miserably, in part because eventually um, the Greek democracy ends up failing, like Athens collapsed for numerous reasons. That would be the cat that just just jumped on my lap. Sorry about that. So, um, so if you look at, for instance, Plato, he's highly critical of democracy, and and we think that it might be specifically because he he thought that. Um, Democracy was the reason why Socrates, his mentor, was killed. And uh, certainly by the time you get to Alexander the Great, that democracy is not doing very well at all. Um, the people having power is something that the British see fail right, right around when they're having all of, all of these issues happen with um, Oliver Cromwell and various revolts that are happening before him and then after him. And the British thought, no... <laughs> This isn't going to work. And it wasn't just the British nobility that thought a democracy was going to work. They just, in their own recent history, had seen what happens when you have like kind of mob rule. And they just thought it was a ridiculous idea. And, that, and most people in, in, in the world, at least in Europe, thought, well, you, you, can't, you can't really trust average people to do those kinds of things like govern a country and and in fact that's probably why the electoral college exists at least in part because even even those founders here in the united states were not convinced that the average populace really should be able to make a decision as important as who's going to govern the entire country so anyways that being said what they did see i think at the very least i i, I don't think they could have missed it but that there was a de working democratic and uh structure here in the Americas already that had been that had lasted for a very 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 long time much longer than the Greek democracy the Athenian de democracy so they knew it could work and there's a fair amount of research to suggest that many of our ideas in terms of the writing of the Constitution were inspired by that and um, so if that is the most important idea that grounds our country even if most of the ideas were white ideas and again I'm not convinced I'm not going to concede that at the very least, I think we can say, well, the idea that we think is most important to this nation is one that is also grounded in people who weren't white. And that's okay, right? Um, it, it made something pretty awesome, right? That, that conglomeration of all of these different groups um, made something pretty neat. Um, now, uh, unfortunately, that's where kind of the, the you, you realize the storytelling also comes in, that in the same way that Mr. Spencer is kind of retelling the history of the United States in a certain sense, so that it caters to us, um, or at, at least to, to people who view themselves as being of European descent, our belief that everybody's kind of better off for the United States existing as exemplified in Thanksgiving uh, is maybe also a story that we tell ourselves. Because obviously, in other words, it didn't go very, very well for the Indian people in the long run. But I, what I mean to say is that we tell ourselves a story about 
Thanksgiving that has something to do with like pilgrims and Indians coming together and sharing this massive meal, where if there was anything like that, it was more like pilgrims had tried to settle and had died off and failed settlements and so on and so forth. Um, one particular settlement uh, is about to die off and is saved basically by Indian people in terms of they provide food. In fact, most of the food that we eat for Thanksgiving that we think is kind of stereotypically Thanksgiving food is actually food that was grown here in, in the Americas by Indian people. So really the story should be like, oh, well, the United States as we know it probably wouldn't exist today if, uh, if Native Americans hadn't saved pilgrims' butts. And what did they get for it? Um, eradicated right and purposefully right so if not those pilgrims then their descendants decided that they're kind of in our way and we want their stuff and we want their land and so you have instances of of chemical warfare being used maybe one of the first examples of it uh by european settlers saying things like oh thank you so much um native americans we really appreciate your help here's some blankets and those blankets happen to be you know the blankets that belong to people who died of, of of the bubonic plague and died of smallpox and so that kind of purposeful eradication in other words suggests that a little bit of the way that we talk about thanksgiving is maybe a little bit this this disingenuous that this kind of like oh well it worked out for everybody and everyone had a great time and it's a the story might be more accurately told, and by all means, correct me if I'm wrong, right? It's a discourse. Um, more along the lines of pilgrims almost die, they're saved by Indian people, and for their trouble, the Indian people uh, are murdered over, over time. And so to kind of end with this discussion of the way we tell stories and tell stories about holidays and so on and so forth, I wanted to read an excerpt from a book that I really love. Um, so full disclosure, actually written uh, by my grandfather. Uh, it's called Wisdom Keepers, uh, Meetings with Native American Spiritual Elders. And in this book, Harvey Arden has basically decided to speak with Indian peoples uh, and ask them if they want to share stories. And he came originally from National Geographic, which was kind of famous for really liking zingers. And at least so as uh, Mr. Arden has reported it, that the Indian people often felt like we would just kind of take photographs and steal stories, which is a story, I guess, that for them is already very old in terms of, of theft of their, of, of, from them. And in other words, people really didn't ask. And if you think about it, like we love to see these photographs of like their, their ceremonial garments and, you know, oh, you can see them dancing around. Look at that great picture. What a great zinger kind of an idea. But that's kind of the equivalent of someone walking into your church while you're worshiping and taking photographs of everyone worshiping there and saying, oh, no, don't mind me. I, I know you're praying to, to your God, but I'm just, mind if I, oh, that's a really cool moment. You're sharing the Eucharist and you believe that it's special in this way. Cool. Let's, oh, click, right? I think we'd be highly offended. So uh, yeah, we do that to Indian people and so they view it as theft. And so what Mr. Arden did was say, hey, um, do you have a story you'd like to share? Would you like to say something to to white people? And some of them said, yeah, get the hell out. And uh, But some, some of them said, well, yeah, here, I, I, I do have a thought that I want to share. And so this book is a compilation of those thoughts. But anyways, long story short, uh, Noble Red Man, uh, is, is interviewed in this, and, and he says something that's basically about the way that maybe we all, and I think this is a human issue, this is not a white people issue, this is just people in general, we retell stories maybe to benefit ourselves in some way, and he says the following, white man gets everything wrong. 
He says we're warlike when we're peaceful. He calls us savages, but he's the savage. See, he calls this headdress a war bonnet. Sure, we used it in war, but most of the time it was for ceremony, not war. Each feather stands for a good deed, and I have 36 in mine. It's not about war. It's about who we are. When we sing, so when we sing songs, he calls them war songs. But they're not war songs, they're prayers to God. We have drums, so white man calls them war drums. But they're not for war, they're for talking to God. There's no such thing as a war drum. He sees how our warriors paint their faces, so he calls it war paint. But it's not for war. It's to make it so God can see our faces clearly if we have to die. So how can we talk to the white man of peace when he only knows war? So with that, I wish you a very happy Thanksgiving.